This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. It is Packer and Durham, and it's a Friday morning on ACC Network. The versatile Swiss Army knife of this network, Drew Carter's back for the Friday ride. Um, and we're going to get some Drew Carter intel right here off the top in just a minute. Uh, quickly, let me tell you that uh, Sam Hartman, the Wake Forest quarterback, will be here at 9.15, and at 9.30 – the Tawartan Award winner, Charlotte North, will join us from Boston College. She has won the award for the second time, uh, fifth player to win the award twice uh, or more, and for the third time in the last five, uh, four years, Boston College has the Women's Tawartan Award winner. Remember, Sam Apuzo won the award uh, a couple of years ago. Charlotte's now won it in 21 and 22. And she will join us at 9.30 this morning. Uh, we got other things to talk about. We got transfer portal in baseball. We have headshots on press releases that ESPN announced yesterday. Mr. Carter, that seems like a nice pathway to check on you this morning. How are you? <laughs> hey, Wes. Happy Friday morning. Great to be back. Uh, this is the third time I've hosted with you now, so that ties Mark Packer for a, a personal record. Like You guys are kind of like my parents for the show, so um, if we're nice. talking about favorite parent, you and Pack are now tied, um, and he's kind of been an absentee father the last couple weeks as he uh, gallivants around Italy. Uh, but I will say this, Wes, you know, you, you bring up the headshot, and yesterday was a pretty rough day on the internet for me. Uh, one of the roughest I've actually ever had. I've never been so thoroughly roasted as what happened yesterday. So it starts out with good news. I'm thrilled to be part of the PLL family on ESPN. Uh, brought over the PLL this year to the mothership, as Dan Patrick used to say. Mm. After a couple years with NBC, the PLL is now in the ESPN family and networks. You see, we got a game on ABC this year, one on ESPN, one on ESPN2. Cannot wait. Super excited to be part of this family. It's an exciting league in what has become my favorite sport, lacrosse. So I'm really excited to be doing this. The only problem is you might have noticed that headshot uh, is subpar. I'd say it's suboptimal. That's a headshot from my last job at CBS 42, a local news station in Birmingham. You see it again. I'm, first of all, I'm sandwiched between Kark and Cotter, two of the best-looking gentlemen, not only at ESPN, but in television. So I look awful as it is, and then you throw in the fact that I look like a wax figure for Madame Tussauds, and it, it just went downhill fast. So ESPN PR tweets out this graphic, and it's cool for me to be on the same screen as Kark and Cotter and Q and your man Roddy Jones. You said I was the most versatile guy at, at this network? No, that, that would be Roddy Jones who hosted this show yesterday and can do it all and is also part of PLL. I think he was a multi-sport athlete at Georgia Tech and is now doing lacrosse as well for ESPN. But anyway, the headshot comes out and I get thoroughly roasted. I get body bagged, as you might say, on Twitter. The problem is <laughs> one of the guys on that graphic is my good friend Jake Marsh, who is Syracuse class of 2018. He works for a little show over at Barstool Sports called Pardon My Take, which happens to be the most popular podcast in sports and has a lot of devoted Twitter followers. 
So what happened was this started to pick up some traction and all the Barstool fans decided to come after me as well. They not only wanted to pump up Jake Marsh, they wanted to come after Drew Carter. Dan Hyland at Lucre Gaines on Twitter, we'll see if I'm saying that right, uh, ats everyone and says, nah, Drew Carter ain't real. LMAO, OAO, what? Uh, Dan Hyland is presumably talking about the fact that I look like a grease ball or a wax figure. Then someone responded to Dan, said literally looks like a wax figure LMAO. And then Dan actually came back and he he said he did his research, basically. He did some digging um, and it turns out uh, it's not just, or it is just the photo, not what he really looks like, but it certainly stands out the most compared to the other people's picks. Uh, to that, I replied, thank you, Dan. Thank you for putting in the research to find out that I am, in fact, a real person, not a Madame Tussauds wax figure. Um, and even though I got roasted on Twitter yesterday, I'm really excited to be part of the PLL. <laughs> hey, welcome. You know what? Welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Just so, oh, I got, I mean, oh, this is a nice lower I got third. called. Well, I got, I, is Drew Carter a real person? I mean, Look, let's go back to the PR shot again. I mean, you know, Bill Hofheimer, all the great people there, Josh Krulowitz, Chris LaPlaca, you know, Amy Ifnowski. Uh, I mean, you know, we got all these people helping us in PR. And, you know, hey, look, we got to get you We got to get you a uh, ESPN standard uh, headshot there. What do you want me to tell you, right? We got to get you taken care of. Well, I sent out an... I sent an email, Wes, to a, a PR person who shall re remain nameless. I said, hey, maybe we could do a headshot, you know, because this person asked for a headshot they could use for the release. And I'm like, well, this is the best one I've got. It's not very good, uh, but it's the best one I've got. Yeah. Um, and maybe we could do a headshot at some point soon. Haven't heard back from them. Who, uh... And now here I am, the no. victim of bullying on okay. Twitter. Uh, all right, let me double down here real quick. I mean, you know, CBS 42, first job out of college, right? Uh, good folks down there. You work for them. Uh, they were owned by a corporate uh, conglomerate of television stations, I'm going to guess. You know, Tegna, Gannett, one of those. Who, they, who, who were the owners of CBS 42? Is that Meredith Gray? Who was that? Let me know. What, which one? <laughs> Next Star Media Company, number one biggest local news owner in the country. Yeah. And apparently they have a relationship with the Olin Mills photo store in Birmingham. They, they all come in and do the headshots. Is that the way that worked? Wes, I don't know what you're referring to. Olin Mills? <laughs> <laughs> Is this a reference that's going right over my wax head? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Olin Mills. Yeah. <laughs> Olin Mills, uh, and Olin I, Mills, I did okay. this to test the I did this to test the demographic waters. Olin Mills was a photography store where families would go in and have their pictures made, principally like in the I don't know late '60s to early '80s. And every once in a while, in some markets, you'll still run across an independent, authorized Olin Mills representative. And Olin Mills was the brand name of the big company, and they would make the pictures. You know, like the awkward pictures you see sometimes on Twitter of like families, you know, those type pictures. That's typically those are Olin Mills type photos. So anyway, that's why the name Olin Mills was brought up to you. But again, all I was doing was dipping my toe in the demographic waters. So it's okay. We're all good. 
We're all good. Well, all in we middle is I, I just assumed that was going to be a joke about, you know, how I look. Uh, I'll accept that, honestly. I'll take an Olin Mills reference over a Madame Tussaud reference because that's what I've been getting a lot of the last 24 hours or so. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, you did fine. Congratulations on being part of PLL. It starts, what, this weekend, right? Uh, Up in Albany, coverage of the PLL on ESPN Plus and ESPN, ESPN2, and, of course, a couple of them on ABC as well. And you know that if it's lacrosse, we got the people to handle it. Uh, not just play-by-play, play, but the analysts and the reporters as well. So exciting developments. And there'll be a lot of familiarity there uh, with some ACC stars as, as part of the PLL. So, uh, And Rachel DiCecco, who's involved in the development of that, was on with us a lot during the run to the Final Four. So looking forward to watching that unfold. Um, and that relates to Charlotte North, the Tawarton winner. And she'll be with us uh, at 9.30, as we said a moment ago. The news that came out yesterday happened to almost we got hit with the 10.05. I mean, almost the 10.05 yesterday when the show ends, and I mean not 30 minutes later after Roddy Jones and I sign off, word comes that Tommy White of NC State uh, has entered the transfer portal, uh, leaving the Wolfpack baseball team after a terrific rookie year, which he set the NC State single-season home run mark and a freshman home run mark nationally. Drew, here's the thing. Uh, There's a lot out on this. Um, And this is one of those stories that when it happens, you kind of got to trust your instincts. But Tommy White into the portal just seemed, well, you know what it seems? It seems 2022 of college athletics, I guess, in some respects, doesn't it? Yeah, no doubt. And real quick, Wes, just – a little correction. I actually went back and checked the timestamp on Kendall Rogers' tweet. He put that out at 9.57 a.m. So I think okay. about 30 seconds after you went off the air, I think Kendall Rogers was watching the show, of D1 Baseball, and he was just waiting to press send, yep. saying this, mm. this will really bother Wes and Roddy, 9.57. But yeah, you're so right. I mean, it's, it's a shocking piece of news, but it's only shocking if you've been a college sports fan for a long time. And you just expect a guy like Tommy White to want to stay where he's at. Because it seems like he had a great thing going at NC State. They've got passionate fans. Just look at how mad everyone has been the last year with the couple of snubs they feel like they've gotten from the NCAA going back to Omaha last year and this year not making the tournament. You see the passion from that NC State fan base. And Tommy White, not to say that he wouldn't have been a superstar anywhere, but it just feels like NC State was the perfect situation for him this season. Um, and he obviously played super well. Something must have gone right with the coaching staff down in Raleigh hitting 27 home runs, an NCAA record for a freshman. So it just seems like it was a great situation for him. And a guy of this stature, you don't think of him as the one to enter the transfer portal. You think of players mm-hmm. who aren't getting the minutes they feel like they deserve, who might be disgruntled. Tommy White, even with you know the current state of NIL, this seemed like a great situation for him. Uh, but you're right. It's college sports these days. Tommy White is probably being whispered into his ear by someone, um, and he probably thinks that the grass is greener somewhere else. Now, I know he's from Florida. Uh, if you go back to his Instagram in 2019, obviously before he was in college, there's a photo of him in a Florida State hat. So it seems mm-hmm. like FSU is the leader in the clubhouse. I don't have any inside information there, but it seems like Florida State might be the destination for him. And if he wants to be closer to home, that's one thing. But maybe he feels like he can make more money in NIL and grow his brand there, which is kind of what college sports are all about now. 
Well, one thing that, and you bring this up, and one thing young people are going to have to be cognizant of is, uh, let's go to David Hale's tweet here real quick, and I'll follow up on that. Can confirm he's entered the portal. There's a small chance he returns to state, but not likely. No visits yet yet, and I'm told it's not about NIL. In fact, leaving NC State likely cost him some money in the short term. All right, that's from ESPN.com's David Hale. Uh, Joe Giglio, who has covered NC State athletics for years, who now works at 99.9 The Fan, an ESPN affiliate in the Raleigh market, and he co-hosts an afternoon radio show in Raleigh with Joe Ovius. Uh, Yesterday, and on their social media site, uh, a portion of the show was reproduced in which Joe Giglio said that this is not about NIL. This is about being closer to home. Um, and Tommy White is probably going to end up somewhere closer to home in Florida. Florida State would be, in fact, uh, probably the favorite, at least on paper, from that. Um, but Gilio said this is just simple, old-fashioned, want to be closer to home, was not recruited by Florida State out of high school, had a terrific rookie year at, at NC State, and now finds himself in a scenario where you know, maybe there is some value to getting closer to home. So, uh, look, this is this is the wild, wild west coaches talked about, Drew. This is the part where, you know, the unpredictability of this. This is why we talk about roster management. This is why we talk about things like this. Because here's a guy who, in college baseball, the volatile nature of that's been in ground for years. You think you're going to have a guy for three years. Now, all of a sudden, he finishes his first year, and essentially, he's gone. Um, and you got to be able to compensate for that. And I quite frankly don't know how coaches handle the roster inequities as much as they handle the NIL stuff at times, to be honest. Well, Wes, I mean, I like that you bring up what Joe said because I think it's a good thing. If, if a guy wants to be closer to home and now he has an opportunity to do it, that's a good thing. The only bad part mm-hmm. of the transfer portal, in my opinion, which we've talked about ad nauseum, is when you have tampering. And, and I didn't mean to insinuate that you know, anyone's been tampering with Tommy White. If the reason he wants to transfer is to be closer to home, I think that's great. Um, now, the double-edged sword here is it's hard to be a, a fan of a college sports team if you think that this guy you fell in love with as an NC State fan could just leave after a year. Uh, but you got to look at it from Tommy White's perspective. I mean, it's his decision. And if he wants to be closer to home, that's about as virtuous as a reason as it is, right? I mean, it's, it's not really yep. up to decide, you know, not really up to us to decide if a reason for leaving is quote unquote good or bad. But if there's no tampering involved and the guy just is a little homesick, I think that's totally okay. Yeah. Yep. No, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, especially if it's interconference, uh, which is also another factor in this. Um, <laughs> But you can't say you're surprised, not the way college athletics is running right now. Uh, We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, we mentioned Charlotte North at the top will be with us at 930. You know, look, we some people said it was hyperbole when we told you it might be the greatest women's lacrosse player ever. She's now got the hardware to prove it. Wins the Tawartan again. And we'll talk about it next. This is the Packer and Durham podcast. Friday, Packer in Durham, show 639. Uh, Drew Carter's here today, and thanks for 
filling in for Pac. Mark is here Monday. And yesterday on Twitter, I want to make sure I get this right, by the way. Um, yesterday on Twitter, it was speculated that the, uh, that the opening segment on Monday is going to go overtime because Packer will have a lot to bring us up on. Uh, John Adair, John, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who is from Archdale and right outside of Greensboro, said basically listening to today's podcast about Monday morning when Packer's back, one thing's for sure, the first segment Monday will go long. Packer responded an hour later. Remember, Drew, he's off the grid while he's on his Italian vacation. Don't forget that. He's off the grid. Um, Packer said, I plan on doing the entire segment in Italian. So, um, you know, there we go. Phil Hedrick then followed up and suggested, Mark do the, uh, the segment with sunglasses on and a nice glass of red on the desk. Don't push it, Phil. Uh, I mean, my God, it could happen. Um, so Packer will be back on Monday. Uh, I will be here uh, with him on Monday. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, Drew may be back. He just doesn't know yet. Um, okay, so let's get to the awards from, uh, from yesterday. Uh, Charlotte North becomes the uh, third person to win the Tawartan, or I'm sorry, the fifth person to win the Tawartan Award for uh, twice or more, okay? Third time BC's won the award in the last four years. Drew, let's talk about winning the award this year, and then we'll talk about all that is Charlotte North and the galaxy of women's lacrosse. Um, this felt like it was not as dominant from a statistical standpoint as a year ago, I guess. Yeah, I think it was a little surprising, Wes. We were talking about this during the break. Our producer, Drew Brooks, asked if it's a surprise. I actually think it kind of is a surprise that Charlotte North won the Tawaratan. Not that she's not deserving. I would have voted for her if I had a vote. Uh, I think she's certainly deserving. But, yeah, not as dominant as she was the first time she won it when she scored over 100 goals, which at the time was a record broken this year by a player from High Point. Uh, But North was still above 90 goals. She still played her best on the biggest stage in championship weekend. She's still the face of the sport. So it's not totally surprising that she wins the award. And again, it is super deserved. I would have voted for her. I was just a little surprised that Jamie Ortega didn't win it. And Jamie Ortega would have been a super deserving winner as well. Uh, This felt like a perfect time for a coronation of Jamie Ortega. We had kind of already coronated Charlotte North as maybe the best player ever. Um, she already won her Tawaratan. They, they already won their national championship at BC. This was sort of Carolina's year. I mean, it was. They were 22-0 mm-hmm. in 2022. Jamie Ortega broke the ACC points record, 466 for her career, second most ever. Only Kylie Oldmiller of Stony Brook had more. She had 113 points this year, which was a career high, third 100-point season of the year and she, of her career. And she is the best player on one of the greatest teams of all time. So I, I sort of thought that yeah. Ortega would win it, uh, partly because North already has her Tawaratan, but that's not really a reason why North shouldn't win it. Um, so I was a little surprised, but it's not like Charlotte doesn't deserve it. All right. I'm going to defer to you on this for the the, the hype here. Uh, time for the statue for Charlotte North. I mean, you win this award twice. You set all these records. You took them to a national championship. I don't – look, Blake James is just getting the job at 11 o'clock today, okay? So he's the new athletics director at Boston College. I don't know how policy and procedure work on building statues. They got one of Doug Flutie outside Alumni Stadium. 
but somewhere one would think, and again, Jerry York had a pantheon of terrific hockey players, but in terms of female athletes, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find one, uh, find one more dominant than Charlotte North. It's not time for the Charlotte North statue. It's past time. Do it yesterday. <laughs> Do it last year when she won the Tauraton for the first time and when she carried BC to a national championship. I mean, who would be deserving if it's not her? She's the all-time goal-scoring leader. I mean, this is essentially if a basketball player were the all-time leading point scorer in NCAA history. Like, you know, Pete Maravich, I'm pretty sure, has a statue in Baton Rouge. And Charlotte Norris mm-hmm. should have one in Chestnut Hill or in Newton, if you want to put it at the, the satellite campus where they play lacrosse. Charlotte North is absolutely deserving. And not only in, in Boston College, but put one outside the U.S. lacrosse facility in Baltimore, I think. I mean, I don't know if they have statues down there, but they should if, if Charlotte North could be the first one. Because I really do think she's the greatest player of all time, Wes. It's not just the stats, but we've talked about this. If you watch her play, I mean, we saw Steph Curry last night in you know, the first quarter of game one of the NBA Finals had six threes. And that was kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, here we go. Steph might win Finals MVP for the first time. Boston had other ideas in the fourth quarter. But, you know, Steph Curry in basketball is basically what Charlotte North is in lacrosse, as far as I'm concerned, because you watch her play and it's just different. It's not only the, the winding on the eight meter. She takes a couple of steps to her right or left and fires through two defenders. Not many people do that. It's just she's she's very unique, and she's transcended the game. So if anyone's going to get a statue, yeah. it should be her. Right next to Doug Flutie. I don't know if she's taller than Doug Flutie. I think she actually is. We can ask her when she comes on later on in the show, but she should have a statue for sure. Well, it's going to be interesting because she deserves uh, the proverbial flowers for a remarkable, remarkable career uh, despite what I know is a disappointing finish last Sunday in the national championship, but to win to Tawartan again. Um, and Sam Mapuzo, by the way, won it uh, just a couple of years ago, 2018. So BC has won it for the third time in the last four years. That's an amazing uh, statement about the program Acacia Walker-Weinstein has built as well, Drew. Yeah, Wes, I think BC had made the tournament once under anyone but Acacia Walker-Weinstein until she took over in 2010-2011, uh, that range. Um, right. They were not a powerhouse by any means until Walker-Weinstein got there. And what's more impressive than three Tawaratan winners in four years? And Sam Apuzo, by the way, is on staff in Chestnut Hill, which I think is a testament to the culture of that program that they've built. But, yeah, it's hard to find a better standard in really any sport, but specifically women's Mm. lacrosse than Boston College right now with the run they put together. Five consecutive national championship games. Yeah, they've only won one, but when you're trying to crack into that inner circle of women's lacrosse, which has been consistently Maryland, Northwestern, uh, under Jenny Levy, North Carolina is in there. But when you're trying to break in there and really starting from scratch before Acacia Walker-Weinstein got there, to be here a decade later is crazy, and I don't think right. anyone could have predicted it. No, and uh, as you said a moment ago, she was uh, one of uh, four uh, ACC players that were among the finalists uh, for the honor. So our congratulations to Charlotte North, but also to uh, to everybody else who was lauded as finalists for the Tawartan Trophy, particularly those Ali Mastriani, 
Uh, Jamie Ortega from North Carolina, Megan Tyrell from Syracuse were also finalists uh, for the honor. Uh, by the way, we, we joke about Blake James, but in all seriousness, the press conference that Blake James, it'll be at 11 a.m. this morning, he'll be named officially the athletics director at, uh, at Boston College. So I uh, look forward to catching up with Blake, hopefully sometime next week or so, to, uh, to welcome him back to the ACC. Uh, previously the athletics director at Miami, and now uh, at Boston College. Uh, to that effect, Josh Hurd is the new athletics director at Louisville. Uh, that press conference later this morning, uh, but plenty of news coming out about that hire as well. Now, when we come back, um, we're going to go ahead, Drew. I'm sorry. We're going to dig in here on basketball when we come back. Trevor Keels made his decision. He's staying in the NBA draft, but Duke uh, is one of those schools with a transient roster. However, there are a couple of ACC schools with unbelievable returning production minutes-wise. We'll show you a graph on that next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Drew Carter's here. We got a handful of things going on here. Um, college basketball for the moment. A year ago today, well, a year ago, yeah, a year ago today, Mike Krzyzewski announced he was retiring at the end of the following season, which has just occurred. Um, And you think about one year in college basketball, Drew, and think about name, image, and likeness being introduced, the impact of name, image, and likeness. And we're getting ready to show you a stat about returning minutes that are going to come back in college basketball production numbers. And yet we still had 130-some guys stay in the NBA draft process who elected to leave early. Now, some of them were guys who had a year left but had graduated academically, finished up, that kind of thing. They were going to play their COVID year. But we still got a high number of players in the draft. We got name, image, and likeness. What do you think's changed the most in the one year since Coach K has uh, announced his retirement? Oh. One thing, everything. Uh, it feels a lot different now than it did a year ago with NIL and the transfer portal and the intersection of the two. You know, it, it's weird, mm-hmm. Wes, because in the last three years, uh, Roy Williams, or last two years really, Roy Williams, Coach K, and Jay Wright have all retired. And that's a pretty good three-fourths of a Mount Rushmore in terms of best coaches in college basketball. At the time, they retired. Yep. Uh, sort of feels fitting that when Coach K announces his retirement, a new era of college basketball begins, you know, because he was in Durham for four decades, and that's the gold standard or blue standard with blue blood for college hoops the last 40 years. Uh, So it sort of feels fitting that a new era has been ushered in ever since Coach K, but yeah, with the, the way that players move around and player empowerment, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, it's just different the way it happens in every sport. I mean, we just talked about Tommy Tanks and baseball, but I think College hoops and college football are going to be where you see the most player movement and the most NIL money playing a role in guys choosing a new place to play football or basketball just because the money is so high, especially at a place like Duke. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it might hurt Duke from a sense of, you know, they have a lot of guys going one and done. That will hurt them. But NIL and transferring, that's going to help them because you maybe have a reason for guys to stay at a place like Duke. We saw Armando Baycott stay at Carolina, and he said that NIL is a big reason why. 
Um, and if you're a big-time transfer, maybe a, a grad transfer from a mid-major, where else are you going to want to go than Duke? And where could you make more money than a place like Duke? Yeah. It's interesting because the production minutes at Duke, it's a varying statistic, obviously. Um, but here's Duke, who obviously is turning over a lot. A.J. Griffin's gone. Mark Williams is gone. Bancaro's gone. Trevor Keels is gone. Uh, Wendell Moore obviously was on the team. But Roach, Jeremy Roach comes back. Um, and then you get a situation like Tyrese Proctor, who was reclassified and now will be at Duke this fall. Uh, a guy who's a five-star point guard who they were expecting in the class of 23, he's going to reset and come in this year. So when you look at that, it's almost like you've gotten production minutes back because of the you know, conscientious kind of talent you've recruited the last half dozen to 10 years. Then you counter it with this. Bart Torvik uh, wrote this and uh, put it online, uh, barttorvik.com. He has figured up production minutes and the percentages returning in the ACC, Virginia leads major college basketball. 88% of their minutes are going to come back. Remember now, Kihei Clark's coming back. Jaden Gardner's coming back. You got Reese Beekman. That's a phenomenal number. But North Carolina and Boston College are also in that top six too, Drew. How about that? That number for UVA is through the roof. And it, it makes you wonder, you know, if you're a Who's fan, are you happy about this? I think the easy answer is yes, because conventional wisdom is it's good to have continuity in college basketball. Mm. But I can remember my, I think, junior year at Syracuse, maybe it was my senior year, everyone in central New York was super stoked because the entire starting five was coming back. Neglecting right. to remember that that team missed the tournament the year before with the same starting five. So we're looking at a similar type situation in Charlottesville where continuity is good and these guys aren't bad players. The team just was not up to the standard that Tony Bennett has set in Charlottesville last season. We expect them to be better with another year in college under their belt. But I don't know, Wes, I'm curious to hear your take on this because if I'm a UVA fan, I'm thinking that, that sounds great, but we weren't that good last year. Mm-hmm. Well, I like it. My personal opinion is is that I think Virginia is one of those teams that's on the move back, and I think Clark is a huge piece. I thought Franklin, Beekman, and Gardner were the critical spots. Um, I thought Jaden Gardner played very well down the stretch. Franklin and Beekman are – I think Reese Beekman's a terrific player. Um, And now you add the recruiting class they're pretty hyped up about. I can see where Virginia fans would be pretty excited about this full development. The interesting part here about Virginia – And you're right, the number is enormous. Um, How does that continuity work? Those veteran guys coming back. Remember, Virginia is one of those get old, stay old type programs. Well, you could argue and pinpoint that they weren't particularly old last year. Maybe in spots they were, but they had a lot of newness about them. So I think with a year under their belt and even with the recruits coming in who you got to integrate certainly into the lineup, I'd I'd be fairly optimistic if I were a Virginia fan, I think. Yeah, and, and another point of this is there are very few defensive systems more distinct than the one Virginia runs with mm. the pack line. So continuity and time in the system has to be a good thing. Now, again, we said the same thing about Syracuse with the 2-3 zone. All those guys mm-hmm. know what they're doing in the zone, and Bam's going to love them, and they're not going to have to run killers the next day in practice. But 
I do think continuity helps when you've got a very distinct scheme that most of these guys probably didn't play, I'm guessing, in high school or AAU ball. So maybe it takes some time to get acclimated with the pack line defense. And they should be back. They should be really good next year because the coach, I mean, that's really where continuity is important, I think, is on the sideline. And Tony Bennett, even though Virginia has been down from what they, they set the standard as in 2019, the past couple of years, uh, they'll be back. Mm. I, have, I have utmost faith in that just because of who Tony Bennett is and, and the system they run there. Well, here's the one that uh, I think the list on here, the, the, per, the team on here that may have surprised some people is Boston College. Um, at 72% behind Arizona. Carolina at 73%. You know, you could argue that basically 14.5% is Brady Manick that's not returning. Um, now, you know, Anthony Harris is transferred, you know, that nature. But realistically, Carolina brings back everybody but Manick from their top seven or eight in the rotation plus a pretty highly thought of recruiting class. You've got Dontrez Styles. You've got all these other guys that are going to factor into DeMarco Dunn. They could get more minutes as well. But Manic is the one spot Carolina has to replace. Boston College got DeMar Langford back late out of the NBA protocol to go with Makai Ashton Langford next year. Now, Brevin Galloway has transferred, uh, by the way, within the league. He's now at Clemson. Um, so Earl Grant brings back a lot of players and a lot of production, Drew, from a team that played incredibly hard. Maybe didn't have the success they wanted to have overall, but in terms of laying a foundation, I'd be okay if I'm a Boston College fan knowing that I've got a good many players coming back from a team that understands the way our coach wants to play. Wes, by the way, the Brevin Galloway news, I remember seeing that and texting it to Mark Plansky, who I called the BC Clemson game with. I said, the Clemson killer is going to Clemson. That's actually, here's a little inside baseball for the folks at home. I believe you were supposed to call that game, but due to weather on the yes. eastern seaboard, you could not make it up to Chestnut Hill. Is that right? <laughs> that is. And, and again, the most versatile prospect and player we have in the <laughs> ACC Network pantheon is Drew Carter. Does all serves all. I mean, you're a little bit. You're perfect for Packer and Durham. We love all serve all fifteen schools, and so that's why I think at the at the same time, you know, you're you're the perfect person to fill in when you know the Jim Cantore moment strikes Charlotte, North Carolina, and no planes can fly because of weather in the Northeast. Was it thunder snow in Charlotte or Cartersville? No, it was a it was the snowstorm in Boston. The potential snowstorm in Boston and from Charlotte to Boston required you to go through New York and they were doing a ground stop in New York for nine hours. So, you know, it worked out. I mean, you got a rep, so that was good. And Brevin Galloway, you're <laughs> right, is the Clemson killer. Brevin Galloway is the Clemson killer. He, you know, led that unbelievable 23-point comeback at Little John. But now he's a Clemson Tiger. And, of course, his brother – is a what uh, played football, Braden Galloway, a tight end on the football team, and he's from the area. So he's burning that. Remember now, he'll be one of these three school guys too. College of Charleston, Boston College, and now he uses the COVID year to go to uh, Clemson and play a season for Brad Brownell. And Drew, you know this, if he takes the jump shot with him, if he hits the first one, there's a chance he's going to hit nine or ten more behind it. Yeah, that guy has a microwave. He's got a good relationship with Brad Brownell, you'd assume, right? Because Earl Grant was on his staff at Clemson before uh, he took the job at BC. So 
Yeah, I think uh, Brevin Galloway being the one missing piece for BC is a big loss, but still, they're in this this list. They're in the top 10 mm-hmm. in terms of returning production, and the Langford brothers are, they're amazing, I think. Especially DeMar is crazy athletic, and Makai with the way he finishes around the basket, they're really fun to watch. And that's a program, yeah. I think you said it really well, Wes. The record last year, not great, obviously didn't make the NCAA tournament. But if you followed that program for a while, you know that there was not a whole lot of life in Conti Forum for the last few years. I think Earl Grant went in there and immediately instilled some juice, some much-needed juice mm-hmm. in that program. They played well in the ACC tournament. Um, so I think you know things are looking up for Boston College. And this is, again, a case where you look at the record last year and you say, do you want the, those guys back or do you want to kind of hit the reset button? I think for BC, you absolutely want those guys back because they're culture builders. Um, even when you're not winning yeah. games in the ACC, you need guys who are still going to give a you-know-what. And I think those dudes certainly do. They proved it down the stretch in that game we called against Clemson. Uh, even though they didn't win that one, mm-hmm. they played super hard. And you know this is a program that hasn't had a whole lot to play for in late February. And they were still playing really hard. They played hard in the ACC tournament. That's a fun group to watch. So just as a college basketball fan and as someone who follows the ACC, I'm excited. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy that Boston College brings those guys back. Well, remember T.J. Bickerstaff and Jaden Zachary and guys like that are also part of that roster as well. So uh, it's interesting kind of how you can tie this together if you're not careful when you start looking at the uh, evolution of the rosters in the uh, in the ACC, but Earl Grant's clearly got a lot of minutes back, and that could help him too. By the way, they got a seven footer in Quentin Post there, and uh, I will share this with uh, longtime ACC basketball fans. One of Earl Grant's recruits is Donald Han Jr., whose dad was a, a three year captain, Donald Han, who played for uh, the Jeff Jones, Pete Gillen teams at uh, at Virginia. In the uh, in the late '90s and uh, and on, so uh, that's something to keep in mind too for next year in college basketball. All right, now we got to move on here. When we come back, uh, and in case you missed it from yesterday, Notre Dame head baseball coach Link Jarrett joined us. His team is in Statesboro, Georgia, for the regional, and we will hear from the skipper of the Fighting Irish next on Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Are you familiar with the squeeze play? You know about squeeze play on ESPN during the college baseball regionals? It's kind of like red zone for college baseball? Uh, No, I'm not. I thought you were talking about the actual art of the squeeze play, which I do know that. I might not know Olin Mills. I do know what a squeeze play is. But this bit of programming you're talking about, no, I don't. Yeah, Matt Schick's involved in it. Uh, Terrific group of people. They go. Mike Rooney is there. Um, I think Todd Walker is involved. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to overstep there a little bit. Um, they, they basically are like red zone for college baseball. You'll go from site to site this afternoon and tonight all around the country to get updated on the regionals. Like if action's happening, you'll see it on the squeeze play. So uh, look for that on the ESPN app and on ESPN Plus as well. It's a great way to uh, – to watch college baseball, especially this time of year with all the regionals going on. Link Jarrett joined us yesterday, the head baseball coach at Notre Dame. He's in Statesboro, as we said a moment ago, the Irish and Texas Tech coming up this afternoon on ACC Network. 
And we started off our visit by how he talked to his team after not hosting and refocusing for postseason. Initial disappointment uh, of Sunday night was evident when we got together to watch it. Now we're we're um, coming back from Charlotte Sunday night, so we knew that we were not hosting uh, going into Monday. And the guys are obviously frustrated. Look, the key to this is that you're in. You you have to position yourself to be in this tournament, which we did. There's a lot of teams that clearly are not. Um, so that's the biggest thing. You have to go beat good teams whether you're at home or you're on the road. Um, the hosting piece is a reward for what the players accomplished throughout the year. So that's how I have always looked at it. I've been fortunate to host in a lot of programs. Um, you feel like it's a reward, and I think for the group – this stemmed a little bit from last year because when you, you win the ACC by four and a half games last year and, and aren't a national seed, some of the points that were made this year as the guys watched the show seemed to say that what was required was what they did last year. So as I felt the mood in the room, um, I tried to explain how this works. The metrics of this selection are very difficult. I think that's the biggest issue. I, I saw uh, you had Danny on, and he's far more of an expert in this industry than myself. But I think that committee of 10 athletic directors, with all they have on their plate, running athletic departments, managing who knows how many dozens of sports in some cases, um, I think everybody coming together to consolidate what metrics seem to produce the teams that belong in the tournament is something we need to really look at. And it, it surfaces for a week around the selection, and then I feel like it, it goes back underwater until we deal with it again uh, next Memorial Day. So I think we need to look at that because there's so many things that are talked about, but as, as ADs and coaches, I think if the target was clearly presented, people would know better how to schedule, what to do, where to go, what matters the most, and lay this out. Whether you're in the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, the SOCON, I've had to deal with this in, in two different head coaching situations, and there are some guys that coach in great mid-major programs that essentially have talked to me, and I was one of them at one point. You feel like you almost have to play a perfect, perfect season to have a chance to get an at-large bid, and if you don't win the conference tournament, you're out of the discussion. So I've had a dozen people ask me, Coach, what do you think we need to do to solidify ourselves to get in? And this is at every level of college baseball. So I think finding concrete answers where it's not left in the hands of the 10 athletic directors who have such – this is a hard, hard job. I just feel like maybe coming up with consistent metrics so everybody knows and there's not so much – um, to figure out at the very end. So I'm not an expert in it, but, you know, you try to put your team in the best possible position, and sometimes you feel like if you knew a little more about what mattered the most, um, and you might have a, an easier pathway to get there. What's the most important thing you have to get done 
to be successful in Statesboro this weekend? Well, you have to get good starting pitching. Um, I think that's that's where it goes. Uh, we need Bertrand to go out, and we need him to do what he's done. We need to play the type of defense that, that we've seen our teams play in the last two years. I think that has been a strength. Our, our outfield range and athleticism has helped us. Um, our infield play has obviously helped JM, and when he's on his game, you can see those sliders. When he's got the spin of that slider where he needs it to be, moves his fastball around, he's going to need the changeup to be in play against Texas Tech, who's a potent, aggressive, uh, I'm not going to say free-swinging, but these guys are up there to hit. They've got a great slugging percentage. They're up there to stand in and get good pitches to hit and drive balls. This place plays, um, in my history here, a little smaller. The ball really carries, so... Being on your game with your secondary pitches, getting good starts is where this begins. Defending, and then the timeliness of hitting. When you get opportunities against other good pitching staffs to deliver blows, you need to have your good at-bats and drive the ball and move the ball um, to produce in a timely manner. If you have opportunities for the short game and the running game as a, as a versatile offense, which I feel like at times we are, we need to be able to take advantage of that. So well-rounded baseball really starts on the mound. It matriculates to how you play defensively, and then the timeliness of the offense is the whole key. It keeps the momentum on your side. It diminishes the crowd impact if you can get out and get a lead and take advantage of the momentum situation. So that's what we need to do. There are three really, really good teams in this, and and we would be the fourth. Uh, So this is going to be exciting. The weather's supposed to be good, warm, muggy. They left us. I think we had a little bug spray here, so some of our guys haven't maybe dealt with the South Georgia. The Nats were below the Nat line. When I coached at Mercer, I learned about the Nat line, right? Rod, you know about that, and we're south of it here, right? Yes, sir. We talk about the geographics and the weather and, you know, the, the insects. So that's neat. Happy to be back down here. Got to get the full scouting report, Coach. The full scouting report, including the insects and the mosquitoes. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, when we moved to Bacon, some my neighbors talked about that gnat line, and I had never heard of it. And I lived in Tallahassee for basically my whole life, and I, did, I didn't know there was, there was a such thing. And I looked on that map, and sure enough, it goes all the way up the East Coast. So try to learn something. Every <laughs> Absolutely. Carter, Carter, are you familiar with the gnat line? Dang it, man. I knew you were going to ask me that. No, I'm from Minnesota. I went to school in central New York. I don't know what the Nat line is. I know what the Mason-Dixon line is, but not the Nat line. Well, the Mason-Dixon line is in Fredericksburg, Virginia. That's another. Well, that's actually, I'm sorry. The Sweet Tea line is Fredericksburg, Virginia. <laughs> um, anything south of Fredericksburg, you can get sweet tea. Most, most times you can get sweet tea at a restaurant. Um, the Nat line. He's right. It, it kind of goes right along I-16, which goes from Macon out to Savannah in the state of Georgia. But if you were to kind of draw that line, um, you know, across the state of Georgia, anything south of there, gnats are prevalent. Anything north of there, gnats they are tend to be. prevalent everywhere. Can be, if you're not careful. Can be, yeah. but really there. In south Georgia – Nat line. That's why they had the bug spray. No question. In the room. Very nice of the hotel well, to offer that. I've got, I've got a question. 
Wes, before we go to break, I want to ask you, what's your sweet tea order? Are you a sweet tea guy? You half and half, unsweet, Arnie Palmer? What do you go with? Um, I am a half and half guy. Or I'm unsweet with uh, two or three sweet and lows in it. I rarely am the full sweet tea. Rarely. May happen twice a year, three times a year. I'm... I'm half sweet, half unsweet in certain restaurants, but I got to know what the tea is to do the half sweet, half unsweet. I'm not playing that. I'm not playing that vendor game where you just walk into someplace and go, "Oh, I'll mix it up." So, yeah, got to be cognizant. I'm the same way. Yeah, full full sweet. I will tell you, especially this. at a place like Milo's, yeah. too sweet. It's like drinking honey. Woo! No question about that. You did spend time in Birmingham. You're drinking Milo's sweet tea. Holy cow. <laughs> you you drink Milo's sweet tea, you're up a month. You can't go to sleep. Uh, when we come back, we get to hour two of the Friday show. Drew Carter's here, filling in for Pac, who does return from Italy. Although I will not believe it until I know he's landed in the United States. Um, regionals begin, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to preview some of the action, especially Blacksburg and Coral Gables. College Park, Statesboro, Louisville, Knoxville, Greenville, Auburn, and Chapel Hill. All to come on Packer and Durham. Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app. 